a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this Friday Eve episode of Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. That's right. There is no Thursday for me. It's Friday Eve, episode number 234. With each passing day, it seems that we learn more and more about the details surrounding the rollout and the distribution of a COVID-19 vaccine. This morning was no exception. There was word to come from the University of Utah, specifically specifically Jean-Marie Mayer, the Chief of Infection Prevention at the University of Utah Health, talking about, along with colleagues of hers, about uh, who exactly will be on the receiving end of the very first doses. And imagine that. There will be someone here in the state of Utah to receive the dose, uh, the very first dose. I wonder how that person feels. I wonder if that person yet knows who they will be, or I wonder what the process is exactly. While we don't know that, we do know who will make up the pool of the very first vaccines to be rolled out this morning uh, during a gathering of healthcare workers and officials, top officials. They spoke about who in the University of Utah Hospital specifically will receive the vaccine first. This is the the answer, the explanation of who uh, coming from Dr. Jean-Marie Mayer, again, chief of infection prevention with U of U Health. We're really targeting those healthcare personnel that have been on the front line taking care of our COVID patients since March. Um, So that group has actually gotten bigger over time. So we started out with one ICU, one acute care medicine floor that has expanded. We've really increased the number of ICUs and acute care floors that care for these patients. Our emergency department staff urgent care, and of course, the testing sites that have been there all along taking care of patients. And we also have um, a lot of additional healthcare workers, more of our ICU nurses, other physicians that have been trained, and they're sort of our, our backups to take care and cover these units um, as we see more patients with COVID coming into our healthcare systems. I would also say that um, We are also targeting our environmental service workers, our housekeepers that are there to help keep our environments clean and safe for everyone in the healthcare facility, patients and our other healthcare personnel. They have been the hardest hit during this pandemic, so we're making sure to include them as well. You hear that? If I'm honest, I had not considered that pool of healthcare professionals, those whose job it is to go in after care is rendered to someone suffering and clean up the mess left behind be that uh, sheets or gowns or biological items, but there is someone whose job it is to sterilize the hospital room uh, for the next patient. And those individuals are certainly uh, on the very front lines and are deserving. It makes sense to me. Uh, Quickly now, let's move on to Intermountain Hospitals. Speaking uh, additionally at this event here this morning was Dr. Kristen Dascom, Medical Director uh, and Infection Prevention Employee Health at Intermountain Healthcare, describing what will be uh, the the makeup of those receiving the vaccine very, very first, the very first recipients at Intermountain. We will be targeting our highest risk providers in Category 1A that the CDC has defined as our healthcare workers. 
with very little production of vaccine early on, we will really have to target those who are at our highest risk. These include, of course, our nurses, doctors, technicians, therapists, all of whom work at the bedside with our COVID patients, those who contact COVID waste, we have seen a high risk amongst our environmental service workers, so we will be targeting them as well. And those who per, um, perform risky procedures, such as anesthesiologists for our COVID patients, will be targeted in these earlier moments when we have vaccine on hand. So there you have it, nearly identical approach there. Uh, it is those who are working at the bedside of those Utahns suffering from the coronavirus. And then another reference to that group that I, uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say I had not considered prior. And it is those whose job it is to go into the hospital rooms where there have been patients receiving treatment for COVID-19 and clean up the mess left behind up the mess left behind. Those individuals, it has been uh, discovered, are at a high risk, right, and uh, have contracted that virus at higher rates than, than others. And so those are the high-risk healthcare workers who will be on the receiving end of the vaccine here in the state of Utah. That's all part of the 1A wave, right? And then over uh, the next few months, you know, hopefully it trickles down and we are able to see widespread distribution of the, the vaccine. That's the anticipation. That's the plan. That's what my fingers are crossed holds up. And that's what I'm uh, very much looking forward to as a giant step towards our collective return to normalcy. Uh, also sharing some words this morning, I want to bring to your attention uh, Governor Gary Herbert alongside state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn. Uh, you know, they get together, uh, either the two of them or the two of them I- I- side by side with uh, other medical professional leaders here in the state. Well, it was just the two of them this morning, and they talked uh, at great length about a number of topics, but uh, but they spent some time on the vaccine as well. And uh, here's what Governor Gary Herbert said uh, real briefly about looking forward to when we have the vaccine. We are on the verge of breakthrough here. Uh, it's a matter of uh, being disciplined in what we do and make sure that we understand that, uh, again, we, we are getting to the point where vaccines are going to help us we get in the springtime, we'll be on the road to recovery. And then repeating this uh, this attitude that while the vaccine is caused to give us great, great hope, uh, Dr. Dunn here talks about the need for, especially in these days, these winter days where uh, we are gathered inside much more often than we were in the warmer months, we need to, even with the bright spot at the end of the tunnel and the light and all that of the hori- of the vaccine, We still need to exercise caution. We are so close to vaccine distribution. Our federal partners have anticipated widespread vaccination as early as April. And yes, it's going to take time for us to fully see the impact of vaccine on slowing the spread of COVID. However, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So we really need to hold steady over the next several months, wearing our masks, trying to keep our close contacts to our household as much as possible, practicing physical distancing, And of course, if you haven't yet, get your flu vaccine. All right. So there you go. Uh, There were a few other things that were mentioned by Dr. Dunn in the press conference today. Uh, I have just about 20 seconds. I want to share them with you, though. They're important. Quarantine guidelines. There's been a change to the state's recommendations. The CDC recently changed its recommendations from a 14-day to a 10-day quarantine. Should you be someone who comes in contact with a positive uh, case of COVID, a friend of yours, a coworker, uh, someone, if you come in contact with that individual, you're quarantined for 10 days. You can test out of that quarantine after seven days. So after seven days, if you get a COVID-19 test and you're positive and you're negative, well, then you can emerge from quarantine. 
Uh, 14 days is, is no longer the case. And then lastly, and I'm, I'm so late for the commercial break, but it's important. There was a question asked of Dr. Dunn regarding uh, students and the requirement uh, placed on students to possibly get uh, a vaccine to make it into the school uh, setting. Well, Dr. Dunn very wisely pointed out and reminded us that, okay, Young people are not yet able to receive the vaccine. All of this talk about a vaccine rollout and the timeline and the month looking down the road, that is for those individuals 18 plus. Okay, there are not yet uh, applications for authorization uh, or approval by the FDA for a vaccine for young people. So, uh, you know, teachers, yes, uh, students, uh, that remains to be seen. We'll have to find out when uh, and keep our ear to the ground to learn exactly when. Young people will be able to receive the vaccine. All right, quick break. When we come back, speaking of young people, how about 16 and 17-year-olds voting for the school board? You heard Dave and Debbie talk about it tonight, earlier this morning, or tonight, what am I saying? Well, we're going to continue that conversation after the break on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.